Hello and welcome to the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. I'm Harry Bliss, CEO and co-founder of Champion Health, and today we're joined by William Shorten, ex-head of HR and learning and development at Sangaman and leadership and team coach, supporting leading organizations in being more human. Today, we're going to talk about psychological safety, employee well-being, and also remote working and where that's going to progress over the near future. Welcome to the podcast, Will. Hi, Will. How are you? I'm very well, Harry. Uh, delighted to be with you today. Thanks. Likewise. Likewise. We're in a not-so-sunny Sheffield, where I am. Whereabouts are you based? I'm based uh, just outside Rugby, so a little further south uh, in the Midlands. And uh, fortunately, the sun's shining here today, so we're, we're very lucky. I need to move. I need to move. So today we're going to talk about all things um, well-being, learning and development. I'd also love to talk about changing behaviour and your coaching um, practices as well. But what I'd like to do just initially from your previous roles that you've held down at global organisations, what do HR need to do to improve workplace well-being over the next three to five years? Is there anything that you could share in terms of your future future predictions? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think um, one of the things when we look at uh, well-being in, in large organisations is it obviously has um, uh, increased in terms of visibility, in terms of knowledge. It's getting talked about at, uh, at the higher, highest levels within organisations. So there is this recognition that it is important. Um, you know, there's a lot of initiatives flowing out um, in terms of how we can make this happen within organisations. And I think now the challenge is about how we really get those um, put down to the deepest levels and we start to kind of really broaden this out uh, in terms of what organisations can achieve. So I'm not saying necessarily that it's lip service at the moment, but there is this kind of recognition it's about how we can take things to the next level and and really get uh, really get things implemented. And you mentioned getting it down into that deep level, um, and that's something that that I believe in. Could you just elaborate on that a little bit more in terms of how we can get well being to be embedded into the the foundation um, of yeah. the organisation? I mean, I think it's one of those things uh, leaders within different levels in the organisation really have to be taking on board. Um, you know what's going to be required in terms of well being. Uh, in the different aspects that, that that comes. And it's really kind of demonstrating that they understand this and that they're kind of walking the talk. So, you know, rather than, it, as I said, it's just lip service where somebody recognises, oh, I need to talk about mental health or something. But it's really giving that feeling that it's something that you kind of care about, that you've got an interest. And, you know, when you're meeting um, one of your your team, one of the employees, um, that you're really kind of following through and it's not just a kind of tick box exercises. Oh, I have to spend two minutes asking how somebody is, but I'm genuinely going to show them that I'm this is something that's important to me. And, I, you know, I'm trying to care for their, their overall well-being. And with that, there's a big thing at the moment I'm seeing around language matters, which which it definitely does. Do you think the most important thing, though, is around authenticity? Um, the way that people show that they care, because I've, I've been speaking to a few people recently and they're worried about saying the wrong thing so they won't say anything at all, but they're the most caring people going. I'm just really keen to get your thoughts your thoughts on that. It, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm slightly, um, if you like, coloured by an article that I read yesterday uh, in The Guardian and they were talking, it was uh, one of their uh, the, the, the team that are involved in kind of learning projects 
And it was a great article. I'll give you the details of it, which was around um, how people can be authentic. And it was questioning actually whether we can be authentic, truly authentic for ourselves, because there's always something that we kind of hold back. But the article kind of talked about, well, if we are, if we can't be totally authentic, it is about demonstrating the care for somebody else and the concern that we have for them. Um, you know, because our value system and our belief system may may be different for whatever reason. You know, we might think, well, you know, somebody from my generation uh, was much more about kind of toughing things out and kind of getting on with it. Um, but I recognise that that's not. I could be authentic in terms of well, that that's how I believe. But I re recognise that that is not necessarily in tune and it's not the language and approach that we take today. So I think it is just about having that kind of sensitivity towards where somebody is coming from. And you have to leave your kind of your value belief system and your ego and everything else that goes around it. And, you know, recognise that there are these different values and different approaches that are out there that the individuals have. That's absolutely fascinating because I've always returned back to authenticity, but that makes a lot of sense. It's more around sensitivity um, as much as anything and, and empathy towards that person's values uh, and belief systems. Absolutely, Harry. Yeah. And in terms of um, you mentioned walking the talk, which is something that's vitally important. It's very easy for, for organizations to put on um, things on their walls about their, their company values and statements. How can we get organizations, especially the larger organizations, um, to be able to truly walk the, the talk? I, I, you know, organisations, as we know, are only as strong as your weakest link. So, as you say, you can have all of the slogans, you can take people through kind of various uh, training programmes, but if, you know, it's not fully onboarded at all levels, then, you know, ultimately they're going to be areas which aren't going to be as effective as other areas. So I think there's also something about really understanding um, if people are perhaps sceptical, if they have kind of problems with this, is, is understanding where they're coming from, uh, you know, individual managers, and trying to support them to allow them to understand this different viewpoint and why this approach is so important. So I think, again, you know, rather than a kind of one size fits all, which I, you know, I fully understand in terms of kind of communication and effectiveness you have to do to start off with, in order to get that message um, you know, communicated thoroughly. Afterwards, it's gonna to come to moderating that approach and looking at areas where things aren't going as well, things aren't as effective, and trying to recognize how you can help individuals in, in those particular areas. And it's absolutely fascinating. I completely, completely agree with you. And changing behavior is one of the trickiest things um, out there at the moment. And it seems like some of the tech giants um, have got a grasp on behavior and human behavior. When it comes to employee well-being, though, there are so many barriers in the way for employees to be able to change their behaviors. And they're all individual as well. Is there anything that you could recommend to our listeners in terms of how we can successfully go about changing behavior on a on a macro scale? Yeah, I mean, you read a lot and you talk about the tech tech giants. I mean, the tech giants talked about cultures which enable um, organisations to work really effectively. Uh, and I think it was a project Aristotle that Google ran uh, around about uh, 15, 20 years ago, which was all about, well, actually having that kind of uh, secure, safe environment uh, is absolutely key. So 
there is something around the culture and trying to make sure that you are producing an environment where people feel confident to be able to talk about things. And of course, that then comes down to, to, to the individuals themselves and how they're reacting, as we've already talked about in, in, in certain situations. So I think it is it is about that um, about that overall point of creating the right environment. And then, you know, when you're having those discussions, making sure that they're being done in a, in a kind of genuine way, again, as we, we, we've talked about, and you're really taking care to listen where people are, are, are coming from and to understand perhaps, um, you know, why they have arrived at that particular uh, point, what their kind of beliefs are and, and how you can then support them perhaps to kind of change through uh, and to understand that, there are other options um, and other choices that, that are available to them. And when it comes down to behaviour change as well, I was speaking to someone recently that was mentioning there's a lot being placed on the individual within the organisations. How can we build more individual resilience? How can we get this individual doing mindfulness to improve their mental health or exercise, for example? Is the issue, though, and this is what this one person was mentioning, the issue is more on the organisational level to make sure the conditions and the environment's right for them to thrive and it's psychologically safe. Instead of looking at the individual, would you look at the organisation first? I, I, th I think you have to you have to look at both, if you like. It's it's um, you have to look at the organisation. You have to make sure that the organisation is walking the talk in terms of what it's it's saying, um, the policies and uh, whatever network of support which have been put in place are actually kind of fit for purpose. Because we all know that sometimes policies, you know, for the best will in the world, we think, oh, there's a really great idea, but there's the, the law of unintended consequences. And I think sometimes you can end up thinking you're going to fix something and actually making the problem worse. So I think that there is something that requires you to look at that in, in, in more detail and really to, to understand, OK, what were the objectives we were setting? And then are these kind of being followed through in the way that we expected? So, you know, there's this kind of continual uh, plan, do, check, act to go back and make sure that you are getting to the place where you expect to be getting. And I think also on an individual basis, you're having to look at the individuals and seeing, actually, we had made this de decision or we put this policy in place because we thought this was going to be the practice. But actually, it turns out now we've got more data that perhaps that wasn't fit for purpose. So we, we have to adjust. And I think the other thing is that we kind of bear in mind is, um, you, you know, there's also perhaps a thought at the beginning of the process that, oh, yes, we're going to do this because this is going to be the one size fits all. This is going to be the most helpful. This is on the basis of perhaps the data and, and what I do myself without really understanding where the other is coming from and what's going to be most benefit to them. So there can be a part which is, you, you know, more driven by ego you know, perhaps I do a certain practice, whether it's um, with what I eat in terms of nutrition, in terms of what I do in terms of, um, you know, physical exercise or what I do to get, to balance myself when I get, get out of work, which might be mindfulness or something like that. And we think, well, because it works for me, it's going to work for everybody else. And therefore, you know, again, this is where I kind of bring the coaching approach in is that you really have to understand and listen carefully where the other is coming from rather than make any assumptions of where you think they're coming from.
And I, I think that's absolutely vital um, is that listening piece uh, and then acting upon it afterwards as well. Um, just want to quickly get your final thoughts. We've got around 30 to 45 seconds left, so I'm going to get it in very quickly around um, adapting to home working um, and your predictions for what's going to happen in the next few years for yeah. um, what have been office based workers. It's a great question. 45 seconds isn't a long, lot of time to deal with it. But I think, you know, we're going to continue to see changes. I mean, we've seen, a, a, if you like, a, 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 the massive impact that, that COVID has had. We've seen a correction. And I think the effects of that correction are still going to be seen, you know, not just for another 18 months, but for years to come. As people kind of rebalance and organisations tweak and see actually, uh, with the technology, with people's mindsets, what's going to be the most effective way for us to work in this in these change circumstances? Fantastic. Thank you so much today, Will, for joining us on the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. You're most welcome, Harry. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. For more exclusive insights and content around workplace wellbeing, please subscribe to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.